Hey everybody, welcome to episode 101 and I'm delighted to talk to someone on the opposite side of the world. Gareth Davis' name originates from Wales in the UK um, but through his military career ended up in New Zealand. He started life in the Air Force, serving all around the globe including places like the Gulf War and Bosnia amongst a few others. Now this one's a tale of different countries, a little about the army, and how he ended up with the police. Gareth was introduced through his best friend Stu McKenzie from episode 95, through their military careers together. And it's fascinating to hear how Gareth transitioned from the UK Air Force, moving to New Zealand. So we do talk a little about this amazing country, that has such outstanding natural beauty and why it's such a visual treat for photographers. Gareth shoots landscapes, nature and a little macro too. So do check out his website for examples of his work. His love of guy who shared his history and the love of his career. So listen out for fun stories too. In this one we discuss high speed processing, tight deadlines, Shooting 4x5, shooting with a 48 inch lens on a helicopter, shooting the borders of Belize, combat camera, training Iraqi cameramen, forensics and training photographers, presets and photoshop and a little charity work. Now of course Gareth goes through our random questions and like a few people was a little nervous about my stupid questions. But he did very well and easily made his way through. So find out why we should embrace hairstyles and the name of his fictitious detective agency. There are links to both Gareth's Instagram and his Facebook account. So please do check out that work. Um, he's kindly sent in a few photos for you all to see. So if you look at the website, flogger.co.uk, you'll see um, that work there. And you can also listen to the show from the website. Of course, I have to take this opportunity to thank the friends of the show. You know, each one is helping through generosity, not financial gain. And that is mutually provided. And today I'd like to focus on um, Steve from Chroma Camera. So if any of you already have a large format camera, uh, what we often call a 4x5, then listen to this. Steve's built an adapter, so you can use your existing 4x5 with Hamish's Pixelator. Now I don't know if anyone um, has seen this. Um, Hamish is the guy who runs the 35MMC uh, blog. And he's been um, doing this um, Pixelator project uh, for a little while and it's finally come on sale. It's a way for us um, digital users to scan in our film um, using DSLRs. So all, all it is is basically plastic frame uh, that fits um, like 35mm on 24x5 through little adapters and it allows you to put your negatives in and keep them flat and flush um, and then all you have to do is put uh, a light source behind it and just use your camera to take photos. Now this is very common in the world of DSLRs and mirrorless and things like this. 
But what Steve's done is allow you to use your existing bellows and your camera your, um, through this adapter. So the adapter and pixelator will hold your film and then you'll be able to shoot straight through it. So it's a lovely little uh, thing he's done there. And he did help with the design of the pixelator too. So it's quite interesting. It's only a very modest fee uh, for the adapter. I've put a link in the show notes for you for that. Uh, and I hope it's for something you'll find useful. And of course, anyone wanting their films developed, please do check out filmdev.kk. And also, anyone wanting zines, please do check out um, Pete's Static Age label. There's some lovely offerings there. All of these are always on my website. They're at the very bottom. So anyone going to flogger.co.uk at any one time, you can click on these links. There's no affiliation. It's just there for simplicity. Of course, if anyone wants to follow my work, you can just go to Instagram and put in flogger.co.uk um, or just click on the links on the website flogger.co.uk. Uh, if you want to see my photography, I'll link you to it uh, on Instagram because I do keep it separate. I do keep it separate from my blogging work. So yeah, uh, I suppose all we've got to do now um, is play the music and I'll await our lovely guest, Gareth. Hope you enjoy this one. And welcome to the show, Gareth. Thank you very much, Andy. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, it's um, early morning, Sunday morning here in New Zealand, so a um, bit of a time difference. But uh, yeah, they're doing really well, thanks. It's uh, springtime, so uh, things are starting to warm up. Yeah, you forget. Oh, that's a, I suppose that's something you forget over here when you um, you're coming out of summer. You're sort of heading towards autumn, and you're sort of backwards in, in one sense to us <laughs> yeah we are we are literally upside down to you yeah. we are um, yeah we are coming into spring we've just had our winter God, um, so not not too cold um interestingly it's been really mild we've had a couple of snow flurries um, but i live near the beach so it's um, we never never usually get snow but uh, we've had lots of snow up in the mountains but still very very warm for a for a winter it's probably one of the best times actually to go to New Zealand I know when we went was um end of March um, mm. April time and it was sort of pre-holiday season yeah um because I know a lot of people will go over um the locals say the roads are just crazy oh um, they are in summer yeah. yeah okay so I think we timed it well in that sense um I mean, New Zealand is an amazing place for anyone listening, honestly. it It's something a lot of us say is the UK probably 30, 40 years ago, but it's untouched and you've got every form of weather and landscape in one small country, aren't you? Absolutely, yep, yep. And some sometimes some places you get uh, you know each form of weather in one day as well you know all different types of weather in the, in the same day. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, and as yeah. a guy who's, um, shall we say, travelled to a couple of countries around the world, you've, you can probably pair it well, can't you? Oh, I can. Uh, so we've got um, down south, particularly uh, one of my favourite places in the world was, uh, when I travelled uh, with the military was Norway. Oh, okay. uh, it's an absolutely stunning place, and that's a kind of uh, e- equivalent for Fjordland and uh, and the uh, the Southern Alps down down south. Mm. That's kind of reminds me of reminds me of Norway. Um, but uh, elsewhere, there's you know there's all sorts of there's rainforests. You know there's huge huge plains, the the desert in the middle in the middle of the Central North Island, mm. and a huge flat area. So yeah, it's um, yeah it's really diverse. Yeah, it's crazy. The volcanoes. Volcanoes, including, them. <laughs> sad, including sadly ones that go off. Yep. So it's still everything's still moving here. So mm. it's definitely a, um, a, a landscape that's changing and ever evolving. Uh, we had a 5.7 earthquake the other night. Um, I didn't even feel it. We've got so used to them now. The, the two boys felt them, uh, and, and wow. so did everybody at work. But I didn't even feel it. I was busy doing something <laughs> else. So. It, we just we just get used to them now, you know. Unless it's a, a huge noise, or unless the the floor uh, the floor tends to uh, move like a snake, wow, a little bit, bit like a roller coaster if in, with certain types of earthquakes. But unless it's unless it's really really close or really big, then we don't tend to feel them anymore. So funny <laughs> hearing someone say that because <laughs> it's been. Uh... Years, I think. Uh, we had one over here quite a few years ago, and it mm. was all over the national press because it, you know, it did wreck a few things. And my wife reminds me and my children all the time about this because I just pretended it never happened. I slept through it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> how is that possible? Well, there you mm. go. Um, I, I mean, New Zealand has strong memories for me. Um, like I say, as we were saying. Um, from visiting um, before I had children and I got to tour both islands and the diversity was amazing unfortunately I wasn't a photographer then so it'd be lovely to go back I think um, Meraki oh yep with the boulders uh, the boulders yep. I mean mm. you've got to do that long exposure shot haven't you you have, yeah, and <laughs> Stu and I did that while we were down there. Actually, oh, that was okay. our that was our when we first arrived, and we drove from Christchurch down there on our on our tour the other year. Yeah, that was that that was our first morning uh, long exposure down there. Wow, mm. uh, pancake rocks. Uh, yep, uh, Punakaiki. Uh, that's on on the other side. We didn't actually get up there, but that, that's on my mm. list of places to go. So I've got a huge list of places um, to visit but- around the country. That's the thing, though, isn't it? There's so many places. Mm. It's, it's amazing. And it's a very safe country um, in the sense of wildlife as well, isn't it? It is. That's one of the pluses. I mean, I've been to a few places where there's lots of things that want to eat you or bite you or do <laughs> nasty things to you. We have got literally nothing here. We've got a white-tailed spider, yes, um, which you might find in the, uh, in the wood pile. Um, occasionally, or you may even find them coming inside if it's cold, uh, and they'll give you a, about the equivalent of a bee sting. Uh, right, um, okay. um, but that's it. That is absolutely it. Uh, everything else is down to you, um, causing yourself injuries from trying to find some of the wildlife. 
Um, <laughs> but the, the, the rest of the wildlife is just, uh, I mean, the Kiwis, which are, are out and about, the, you know, they, yeah, nothing, nothing will do you any harm. Mm. Is it, do you find it difficult choosing between um, the different landscapes to shoot then? Or is that more like of a visual treat to you? <clears throat> um, so my um, my daily dose of uh, landscape, if you like, is uh, is the beach, the, the local beach that I live next to. Um, so when I when I've finished work during the day, um, I normally check out the light or the the clouds or on, on my way home and mm-hmm. uh, and have a look to see if I can get down the beach. Normally I will, no matter what the weather to try and do something different um the you know the the other diverse landscapes uh i tend to use those to to travel to with either with the family or or with friends that come down to visit so we'll actually take some time to to go and visit those um, and there's definitely there's still places that i haven't visited i've been been here 13 years now has still places i haven't visited mm. in fact in fact i'm off to uh we've got a holiday in october and we're, we're off doing a uh a driving tour around the central North Island to go visit some friends and uh, and travel up to Rotorua to go and see the, uh, the, the 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 big redwood forest up there. Mm, love the place, yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, I remember Rotorua. Very smelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the downside to the the geothermal stuff, is it? Yeah, it smells like yeah. rotten eggs. Yeah, you forgot. Yeah, forget the sulphur, don't you? Yeah, lovely photos of the wildlife. Is is that mm. something you've just leaned towards then since you moved to New Zealand? It is. Um, I um, I've started using nature just trying to help me to to help me relax. So mm. wildlife is something I never never really thought I'd get into, but um, it's actually a challenge. Mm. Um, the, oh, God, they, yeah. you know, wildlife is definitely a challenge to to capture, and um, it's. It just yeah, it just helps me. So it's uh, one of the things that I um, that I'm keen to to progress. So um, mm. my wife isn't quite so keen to progress my uh, size of lens that I'm buying, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm, that I'm means more money. That. Yeah, it means <laughs> way more money. Yeah. So I'm having to work out how I can get. Yeah. So I have to be a bit stealthy. So uh, I go down <laughs> to an, a couple of pictures I've got recently. I've been down to an estuary. To um, see some royal spoonbills and and uh, cormorants and various things at sunset, so it's to try and try and just stay still and and just watch them and let them come to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's so uh, yeah. I, I kind of um, travelled around the world and um, didn't capture some of the wildlife, mm-hmm. um, which I do regret, especially places like uh, Belize. I, I did twelve months in in Belize in the Central America, yeah. and there's some absolutely fantastic wildlife over there. But yeah. um, I was too busy scuba diving, to be honest, and uh, uh, along with my working. So mm. I spent most of my time underwater. Well, that's different for someone who's been in the uh, Air Force, isn't it? <laughs> well, that was my hobby. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that, that, was my, that was my hobby. Yeah. not uh, I have done a little, tiny little bit of that in, in terms of work, but... Um, uh, the, the military in those days would actually uh, encourage you to do adventure training and to right. do uh, extracurricular activities. So um, I, I actually got all my scuba diving qualifications through the Air Force, um, um, trained, trained down in um, Plymouth originally, 
um, started off scuba diving in north of Scotland um, and down through the west coast of Scotland um, into Loch Ness, all sorts of places around Scotland, and then then got posted from there to um, to the Caribbean. So from the, from the sublime to the ridiculous, from, a, from, a, from a dry <laughs> suit from from a dry suit to uh, shorts and t-shirt, yeah. <laughs> With a Scottish yep. accent and the Scottish weather. Uh, so, yeah, I did pick up a bit of Scottish accent, so... Jesus. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's a bit different. I mean, the mentality, obviously, of people in hotter countries, uh, you know, there's probably that hot, happier feeling um, mm. sometimes. Much more laid back. Yeah. yeah. God, that, that must be so different then because you've obviously moved it to so many different places. Mm-hmm. It is. It's um, and one of the things I like is actually trying to understand the culture mm-hmm. and trying to um, not force what I you know. I think I've probably got a really mixed uh, culture now. Probably you can't put put mm-hmm. your finger on one thing because because I've embraced so many different types, uh, including languages as well. Some of the the places in Europe mm-hmm. um, that I've that I've lived uh, and, and also travelled to. Um, I've tried to at least be polite and uh you know please and thank you and hello and goodbye and mm. in in every single language um and some of the countries i've been to that some of those languages are quite difficult norwegian being one of them right. mm. oh, that's cool i mean to be honest i think what you should do is talk us through some of the um let's probably have a little bit of a background then so sure. you started at 18 was that right yeah, so um, I'd always wanted to join the military ever since mm-hmm. I was a, a very young child. Uh, I didn't quite know what it involved or what it was going to involve, but uh, I'd always been attracted to it. So once I completed my high school, um, I was actually looking at various careers, particularly in the Air Force. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't even realize at the time they had photographers um, because they were such a small branch compared to everywhere else. And and the recruiting office would always divert you into the ones that they wanted, the, the, you know, oh, the ones right. they were short of. Um, but I found the photography um, branch and um, and started at eighteen, yeah, eighteen and one month, and um, and haven't lived at home since. I've always either been in the military or, or lived overseas ever since. So that was in um, back in Gloucester at home, where I've still got uh, my sister and some some other relations. And um, from there, um, I did my training at uh, Cosford, which is the uh, the training, still the photographic training centre. Mm-hmm. And um, during that training, uh, I went through some really tough times in terms of the academics of the particular course. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, I actually changed at the time. We had two different branches of the uh, photography trade. Um, one was the ground photographers, which people traditionally know with the cameras taking pictures. The other mm-hmm. was um, the reconnaissance um, side. So everything was still uh, film based in those days. Mm-hmm. So they had uh, quite a few photographers uh, with the uh, aircraft squadrons. Um, so I transferred over during training to to that side of the of the branch, and um, and started started on that uh, on that path for for quite a few years so some of it was interesting some of it was pretty mundane but it was all dark room based 
um, 16 mil cine film processing of uh, the gun cameras. So when the pilot presses the button and um, pretends that he's firing guns or missiles, uh, it will actually, or when they're doing it for real, as it turned out later, um, they would actually record what they're looking at uh, and wow. all the displays. So all that was before video and then before digital cameras. It was all recorded on 16 millimeter cine film which obviously had to be then processed and they could actually play it play it back um, as a debrief. God, yeah. So on on from that, uh, the, the wider format film, so the, the, some jets had uh, camera pods. They were specifically reconnaissance aircraft. Mm-hmm. So I did a couple of tours on uh, Jaguar squadrons. Uh, so the first place I went to was Germany. It was a place called uh, Larbrook in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, reconnaissance squadrons, uh, the, the Jaguars over there. And we always had a, a bit of a unique um, style and uh, also a un- unique moniker, really. We were called the fastest photographers in the world, which came from a, <laughs> came from a video um, uh, that we used to show for the public when we used to do displays. So these cameras would have um, typically – there were six cameras in the in the – a reconnaissance pod there was uh 250 feet of medium format film so what you would call um two and a quarter square or medium format film yeah. uh with with sprockets uh and they would use all of that in in all six cameras so do the math on how much uh film there was and we could pro and we could process it was black and white um but we used to process it in a high in high speed um processing machines and we could process the whole lot in uh, under 10 minutes wow mm. so the the chemistry was um at oh, i've scratched my head to to go back that far but some of the chemistry was at 40 degrees c um to allow it to be so we were literally boiling it we were developer through the developer we were boiling it and the and then using because it it wouldn't dry quickly enough using just water when we washed the film at the end, uh, mm. we used to have to use a methylated spirits bath to actually evaporate all the moisture off before it came out of the back of the machine. And then, uh, so it, it was all based on the the Cold War era when um, mm. the images were being used for uh, debriefs uh, and being used for uh, information for the front line. So we only had uh, a, a maximum limit of forty minutes. That was the the standard that was set from the time the photographs were taken to the time that the report got back to the front line um, because um, they figured that whatever we were taking photographs of would have moved in mm. to, to a, such an extent that we wouldn't um, actually be able to see them again. So that was, that was the standard set. So it was quite a, an intense process. It was one of those where we, mm. we sat there for hours waiting for the aircraft to come back and then every, everything was just complete chaos, organized <laughs> chaos. For uh, for about yeah, for, for about fifteen yeah. twenty yeah yeah for about fifteen twenty minutes, uh, and then it would all calm down again, and then we wait for the next lot. Um, and we did that uh, not only in Germany but all around the all around the world. So we actually were uh, truck driver qualified. So those of us who um, the photographers and the imagery analysts, we all became uh, heavy goods qualified. So we used to put these machines into uh, boxes on the back of trucks. Right. And we used to dr- either drive them around Europe or wherever we were taking them, or even take them off, put them on wheels, push them into the back of a Hercules, uh, and yeah. fly them to where to where we needed to go. So, so we, you we literally actually... did fly your dart room. Yep, 
yep so we could actually fly anywhere in the world with the aircraft and and be there ready to ready when they were started operating well i've got some films that i needed doing gareth are you all right to start now (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure I think the uh, I think the mail is probably going to take longer than the actual processing. To be honest, if you're going to send them down to me, Jesus. <laughs> so that was um, so I did a, a couple of tours on the Jaguar squadrons. Uh, both uh, that was at Larbrook and uh, at Coltishall. Hmm. Um, I did some uh, work on uh, another uh, squadron which was using Canberras, which are even older aircraft uh, um. based at Marham, using the using even wider format film, so nine inch wide film um which you know by 200 meters long or however long it is uh and then they eventually transferred to color so they started doing color negatives and color positives at that size Jesus. so so yeah we became um pretty good at uh, at darkroom techniques and uh, what mm. we called sensitometry which is actually oh, yeah. being able to be able to figure out what the what the chemistry was doing and how we needed to process it uh and on a, and based on how it was exposed so we uh, we used to do we used to do quite a quite a lot of the training on that. Yeah, this is what um, I picked up off um, your mate Stu um, when he was talking about the military photography school, and he was mm. talking about like guide numbers and sensitometry. And I was like, "Wow, you were really taught properly then, weren't you?" We were. So um, we, I didn't realise it at the time, particularly as an eighteen-year-old. Hmm. We were we were back into uh, chemistry and physics, uh, you know, hmm. all that and maths and all that uh, information on how everything worked. Hmm. And at the time, I couldn't understand why they weren't just handing me a camera and saying, "Right, this is the button to press." Hmm. And it and it really now looking at it from a, a person who's actually training photographers and has trained um, photography for quite a number of years now, uh, I can it actually really does help. The, the, mm. all that background theory and knowledge really does help yeah, yeah because you, because you can apply it in the um in the field you can actually adapt stuff in in the field which is what we had to do quite regularly we, we we might be somewhere where we didn't actually have any any other form of uh assistance so we'd actually have to rely on our background knowledge whether it was chemical uh, chemistry or yeah. or the actual physics uh, to actually make it work I mean, for anyone listening who's a gearhead, I mean, listen to what you're saying about some of the cameras. And you've only just started, haven't you? Mm. Um, you know, you said the words to me five before. And it's, mm. it's like, I mean, what else have you had to use then? So the biggest camera um, I've ever had to use was, uh, they, they, it was made by a company called Williamson. Okay. And it was originally designed as a, a vertical camera for doing map making. So that's where the mm-hmm. the other side of from tactical reconnaissance is um, the strategic reconnaissance. Uh, and what they do there is they, they do map making mm-hmm. uh, and uh, information. And this was designed to take photographs directly uh, downwards vertically uh, so that people could either use it as information or they could go on and make it uh, maps. So my... Um, my posting in um, Belize and uh, Central America uh, was for twelve. Uh, ended up being twelve months um, because I loved it so much. I stayed out there, and mm-hmm. um, the the day job was actually taking photographs from the air of the border. So there was lots of border um, disputes 
with the various other countries around, uh, yeah. including uh, Guatemala. Mm. So um, we were just giving information to the people who needed it. Uh, and that, that camera that I was using there, uh, it, was a not, it was originally a vertical camera, uh, but it was converted to actually um, use obliquely. So it was mounted in a helicopter, and it was a 9-inch by 9-inch frame uh, with a 48-inch lens, you know, because we were all, in, we were all in Imperial in those days. So it was a 4-foot lens. So it had a minimum focus distance of, I think it was 300 meters. You couldn't actually get anything in focus less than 300 meters. But typically, we would uh, we would actually fly um, anything up to three, three or four kilometers away from the target to, so that they couldn't actually see or hear us. So, Won't be any and, good and, for um, shooting a model then, you don't think? <laughs> Only if the model was uh, in the next town. Yeah, I don't think it would work very well. I think you did walkie talkies at a minute. Can you bend your leg? What? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So um, you and and like all photographers know, you get con- you concentrate on the on the frame and you concentrate on the. We, we didn't need to focus, but we could. It was actually gyro stabilized because we were actually flying it in a in a rotating, you know, in a helicopter that was vibrating. And um, my my so called friend actually uh, opened the door behind me and Mm. because it was such a large camera it was actually pointing out of one door and the other door was uh, behind me and uh, I didn't realize that they'd opened the door behind me and I actually stepped back to put to support myself against it and it wasn't there and we were at about 5,000 feet so that was quite an interesting moment that I had (laughs) (laughs) but I was I was gripping onto the two handles of the camera quite uh, yeah white knuckle shall we say um, and everybody else just around me laughing because they, uh, they they thought that was highly amusing. That's the typical typical jokes that people play on uh, on you when you when you're working. All part of military life, eh? A- absolutely, yeah. Jesus Christ! So I, I had another one of those uh, a few years later. Actually, I was um, doing some photographs of a of some parachutists. Uh, and it was actually the, uh, the parachute display team, and they were practicing in Cyprus. Hmm. And I was stood on the stood on the back ramp of a Hercules, doing some photographs uh, as they were jumping out uh, over the over the Salt Lake and the, the where we were at the base, um, getting some nice scenic shots with them in the foreground and the stuff in the background. And the uh, the loadmaster had had hold of the harness and had a had a, a good handful of the harness. And as I braced myself. And got ready and started taking photographs. He let the let the handful of harness go. Oh, so, and, and I was on the I was on the ramp, with nothing between me and the and the and the space, <laughs> but this harness. So yeah, they thought that was highly amusing as well. That's a that's kind of standard military fun, <laughs> as we used to call it. Jesus Christ, that's so different, and uh... but you. Uh, but you only you only get you only get that done once to you, and then you realise you, you learn very quickly that, what people are going to potentially do. You know what they think is funny. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so after um, after my time on the reconnaissance squadrons, um, I moved on to um, to some other units. And like I said, I, I did some, uh, three years in Cyprus, which was a, a mixed unit: ground photography, air photography, and also supporting various other military units in cyprus mm-hmm. um so and from there i actually uh did my first uh, operational deployment which uh was with the army which oh, was very okay. very very different and that was into bosnia 
So, um, ah. so uh, I did six months in uh, in Banja Luka in uh, northern Bosnia with the army as a as a, a media photographer. So your one of your other interviewees was talking about combat camera. That's um, that's kind of what what it morphed into. Uh, we yeah. used to call them we used to call them uh, mobile news teams um, for quite a while in the in in all branches of the military, um, air force and the army and the and the navy. But they, they did actually become combat camera later on. So that was a that was a I would call it probably the best and the worst job uh, okay. that, I, that I that I ever had at the same time. So I was Why working on my. <laughs> I was work, oh Yeah, I was working on my own. Um, mm-hmm. So it's the uh, the pinnacle of your career to be uh, doing photo journalism, if you like, uh, to mm-hmm. be seeing stuff your stuff in print. Um, yeah. I was working on my own. It was still film based, so I was having to process my own uh, color film on the desk in the office, which was a porter cabin in a in a disused factory. And uh, using bottled water to mix my chemicals and uh, the stuff that I was also having to drink, not the chemicals, the water. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, and then I would scan the the negatives that I'd processed into um, into a, a Kodak neg- negative scanner, uh, and then wire them via a uh, a mobile laptop and a modem through a uh, satellite phone back to the UK. Uh, back to the picture desk, which was the uh, so the army picture editor was receiving them at the other end, um, and then he would disseminate them out to to various um, newspapers or or agencies or whoever wanted them. Yeah. So that was so that was re- I mean that was a lot of pressure, and there was virtually um, six months full full wor- working um, with without a day off. So it was really you know go, going from the air force in Cyprus where we we had a you know it was quite a quite a good life to mm-hmm. to working in something like that was um was yeah some of the best and some of the worst and by some of the worst i mean uh it wasn't the actual hard work that was the worst it was actually the um uh some of some of the areas that we went to and some yeah. of the things that we saw subject matter, so, yeah. yeah some of the subjects um and some of the stuff that had gone on um yeah i still uh have i still try and work out what's gone on you know mm-hmm. I, I still because up until that point, particularly around uh, the Cold War, we'd always been told that the uh, enemy, whoever the enemy was, uh, was going to be a, a six-foot person dressed probably in green with a Kalashnikov. Yes. Um, you know, not a, uh, not a yeah, not not a civilian or a child or a, a family member, or which is, is essentially what happened in the Balkans. Um, mm-hmm. Neighbours turned on neighbours, uh, you know, villages turned on villages, um, and it got very, very nasty, yeah. with some outside influence as well. Yeah, so I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't really prepared for it, um, and certainly hadn't been prepared for the um, the reactions afterwards. Hmm. Um, looking back on it now, um, uh, yeah, I hadn't, didn't deal with it too well. But um, yeah, that's it's it's all working out, and uh, I so I was um, I was so probably angry uh, is is the only way to describe it when I came back from what people weren't the inaction that was happening I ended up working for a children's charity um, for a few years on the side um, uh, basically running uh, helping them to uh, fundraise uh, and this was a uh, an ex-army colonel who uh, went back to Bosnia to and Croatia to actually build orphanage rebuild orphanages because he'd actually seen an orphanage shelled in front of him 
uh, with with children losing their lives. So wow. he was he was so incensed that he um, that he set up his own charity, and uh, and I I ended up working for them as a volunteer for a number of years. Um, they started doing fundraising by going overseas to to um, to do treks and things. Um, doing Great Wall of China, uh, Machu Picchu. And uh, my original um, plan was to uh, do their first ever trek, which was to the base camp of Everest. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was going to be led by one of their patrons, who was Bear Grylls. Ah, oh, wow! So that was so that was a big um, that was a big moment for me. I was actually going to be part of that and actually do something positive to help. Mm. Um, unfortunately, at that time, I'd actually been uh, posted to the training school. Um, which uh, I took as a as a promotion. Uh, I'd never wanted to be a trainer initially, mm. but um, found when I got into it, I really liked it. Mm. Um, and then got called back to my previous job to assist for some of the some of the work we've been doing around the uh, two thousand and three Iraq War. So um, I couldn't go to Everest. I uh, I went to the Gulf instead, <laughs> which is very different. God, yeah. So, uh, so I ended up um, uh, with the team, and there was a lot of uh, photographers uh, out there with me, my colleagues um, and friends, um, working deployed over five uh, Arabic countries for for the entire duration, and and some longer. Wow, some uh, mm. <clears throat> some different places there, isn't it? Yeah. And that, and that was my initial um, that was my in, initial uh, experience of uh, the Gulf and uh, and the Arab area. Uh, I did go back there several times uh, later on. I actually went back teaching the um, Iraqi army. Um, wow. We we actually handed over a lot of stuff back to the to the government and to the to their military. Hmm. Uh, so um, the combat camera teams. Uh, we ended up going back out there to train their own uh, combat camera teams and their own public relations teams to um, using using the similar techniques that we've done um, mm. and different different equipment that they that they were used to. So they needed some training, um, te teaching technical for photographic term video terms to um, through an Arabic interpreter is definitely an experience. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good fun. They've got a real good sense of humour, and there were some really, really nice guys. So I've got a lot of respect for them. Um, mm. But yeah, it was it was it was challenging to say the least. I think what's interesting is that um, when we think of things like the military and the Iraq War and rebuilding, we don't think of um, people documenting for themselves or their own armies. So you know, as photographers, you've done. It's an important part of the job because without the images uh, and video footage and things, we <clears> wouldn't actually know what's going on, would we? That's right. You've got the, you've obviously got the, the side from the press, but we mm. uh, we we do a lot of stuff um, that a lot of people don't get to see um, because mm. we we are military personnel. We can get access to, and we usually um, are part of the teams that uh, that are working. So we're also subject to the, the military law, so we know we can't um, release those images unless we're authorised to. 
Um, but, a, but a lot of the times, those uh, teams would be working under the direction of somebody who would want those photographs for a reason. Mm. Um, and some, some stuff will be, will be used for that. So we, a lot of the time, we used to um, send our stuff direct to the press once it had been released. Um, I'm, I used to see my, a lot of my stuff uh, appear on, on various uh, websites and agencies and sometimes mm. national, national TV. You know, BBC has used a lot of my footage over the years. Wow. Um, my, the, uh, the operations room that we were using for, for the Iraq war was declassified. So myself and an American combat camera team uh, person could actually go in and photograph it. Uh, and that, that image that I took appeared on the Washington Post. Oh, wow. So, that's brilliant, mate. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's the kind of pinnacle that you, that you aim for. Um, it's, it wasn't the most stunning picture I've ever taken <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's, it's, more the, it's more the actual context and, and what it was. Um, because yeah. it was the, you know, I was the only person, along with my um, American colleague, to be allowed in there with a camera ever. So mm. it was yeah, a bit of pressure on there as well to actually get some usable images. Well, I mean, photojournalism is about that, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's telling a story and presenting something to show people rather than having the most immaculate photo ever. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, what I had to understand in the media is that um, you know all the stuff we send to the media, they'll either, they'll either use it or they won't. Mm-hmm. Um, if they do use it, it'll be once on the screen or once on the in the paper and gone. Mm. So, um, and then you're on to the next story. So it's really high pressure. I know we've I've had some colleagues who've uh, worked in the media, and um, they've they've all told me that it's it's constant. They they all they always want more. There's a huge appetite for for yeah. information, so it's um, it's a real high pressure. You know, a lot of people don't stay in in that job for for life. It's not one of those ones that you can stay in and mm. and sustain, uh, particularly if you want a life outside the job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the other images I saw was obviously you in. Uh, uh, another lovely country's uh, uniform, wasn't it? New Zealand. That's right. So I, um, I did just over twenty three years in the in the Royal Air Force in the UK and, and around the world. And uh, one day, uh, there was a huge commotion in the training school corridor, and it was uh, lots of people talking about the New Zealand Air Force and how they were recruiting photographers. So uh, at the time, everybody thought that sounded like a great idea because um, New Zealand, as, you, as you've said, is a, is a beautiful country. So why wouldn't you want to go and work there and live there? Obviously, mm. 50% of the people went home and their their partners probably just, <laughs> just, just said no, absolutely <laughs> no, no yeah. because it's the other side of the world. Um, I actually put my application in, spoke to my uh, wife and um, heard back and they said, actually, we're looking for younger people. We're actually not looking for people with your experience, which was quite a diplomatic way of saying we don't want old people. <laughs> um, but I, but I had all the training experience and the training background, so uh, they said we keep you on, keep you on file. Uh, and twelve months later, they had a, a vacancy for the training role in the in the air force. So down in New Zealand, in the defence force, the only photographers employed in the defence force are air force. So the um, so the air force uh, had a, a training. Uh, facility 
at their main base. And um, I applied along with one of my colleagues and uh, eventually through the process of uh, immigration, they, they weren't allowed to help me through that process. Um, wow. I had, and uh, we, we uh, with some help from the Air Force down here for, in terms of logistics, we actually uh, arrived with the, with the family. Uh, and I uh, went straight into the New Zealand Air Force. So from from the Air, RAF to the RNZAF, uh, I was a I was a civilian for a week in total. That's a, I mean, it's a big thing, isn't it? Because it, it's not like just moving to another town. You move into a country that's twelve hours away. It's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. So the edge of the world. It, <clears throat> yep, it's uh, it's definitely different. Um, we'd never been here before, so we decided we were going to um, treat it as a as a posting, if you like. Uh, mm. So three years uh, was typical for our rotation of postings. So we decided to um, use that time uh, to get used to the area because there, there are certain differences. Um, mm. Just because they speak English and, and and you know there's a lot of similarities, there are definitely some differences, mm. uh, particularly around the culture. Um, but we, within eighteen months, um, the whole family had uh, had settled in and become very used to what we were what we were doing. I'd even got used to a log burning stove and chopping my own wood, as opposed to pushing the button on on the uh, central heating system. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, within eighteen months we we'd settled and uh, yeah we'd, we've been here for thirteen years now. God. That's crazy, isn't it? and obviously now you're working with the police force. Yeah, so uh, a couple of years in the air force, there was some uh, reviews and changes going on, as there always is. Hmm. And I, um, I, I had the opportunity to uh, to expand and do some professional development with the with the New Zealand police uh, photographers. So uh, I actually got got together with them, had a had a discussion and we, we worked out how we could actually work together because there are so few photographers in, in the government agencies in New Zealand that mm. we uh, we try and do some uh, you know some take taking some ideas from each other and working together, so particularly on certain areas. And um, and a, a job uh, appeared. They made, they had a new job at the police college where um, somebody was going to be used, uh, utilized to um, coordinate all the forensic training. Um, primarily photography and um, and scene investigation. So um, I applied. Um, not only did I get an interview, but I got offered the job. So um, yeah, ten years later, uh, I'm I'm still in that position. That's cool because again, that's so some that's <clears throat> so different, isn't it? Because I mean, forensic must have been something new for you, really. Um. We'd actually done a lot of investigations as Air Force photographers. We did uh, crash investigations oh, okay. um, mm. and working with the police, working with the military police um, right. in various parts of the world. So um, it wasn't completely new, uh, although cool. and yeah, and the, and the training side of things um, is very similar in terms of delivering training to people. Uh, I've done quite a bit of that. I got a, I managed to get a tertiary qualification out of it while I was in the UK. Mm. Um, so um, I was I was quite comfortable with that. It's just the the other um, the other side of it, the actual scene going stuff, mm. police side of things that uh, that took a bit of time to get used to. Um, but I did some did some shadowing, um, made some very good friends around the around the organisation and around the around the country. And um, yeah, 
and have uh, have actually done some operational work with them as well, um, just uh, as an aside. Uh-huh. Um, so um, we have a team, a disaster victim identification uh, in terms of some of the major disasters. Okay. And, and anything that's considered a mass casualty event, uh, the team are involved. And uh, I've, uh, I've, at one, one occasion, uh, I was the only person available, so I became the default person to assist uh, in, uh, in a balloon crash uh, that was over 10 years ago now. Oh. And um, was, uh, yeah, there, were, uh, there was 11 people killed, and um, we were trying to identify them. So uh, I was helping the photography team in the in the hospital uh, working on that. Wow! So and that comes from my air force background, where where we've done that kind of work before. So yeah. And uh, but it was it, it was for a, a positive outcome. If there can be anything positive out of, out of that thing, where we identify uh, the individuals so that we can repatriate them to the families, and also the uh, the information. Uh, yeah. That we that, that we get. That we can pass on, so that the families can get some some closure, if you like. Yeah, that, and that's important. So it is. Yeah, that must be a nice feeling, though, that your hard work is actually going to pay off and actually do some good. Yeah, absolutely, and and try and try and make it a, a positive outcome. I I even managed to um, to get some images off the cameras that were on board the the balloon as well. Wow! I reckon recovered some uh, out of the. Um, out of the cameras, so for the families, mm. so that's that's really good to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that that's really cool. Um, so, in the grand scheme of things, where does um, Stu McKenzie fit into all this? Then, what part of your career did it did you meet him? <laughs> well, interestingly, um, we actually uh, swapped roles before we even knew each other, which was quite interesting. So he was oh, on wow. the he was on the Army Mobile News team, hmm. and I was on the RAF one. And uh, we'd never actually met, even though we probably we knew each other's names. Um, hmm. He was uh, going to get deployed to uh, Jamaica for an exercise with the um, with the Army. Okay. So obviously, so obviously, he wouldn't turn that down. A couple of weeks yeah. in Jamaica, <laughs> and. Um, in return, uh, he they needed somebody to go and cover um, some work going on in Cyprus. Right. So, so I stepped in and, and worked with the Army mobile news team in Cyprus for a couple of weeks. And that was um, a week of working with the TA, uh, Territorial Army Infantry, who were yeah. doing uh, exercises, uh, beach landings and that kind of thing. Uh, and the second week was uh, even more interesting. That was actually... Um, in on the UN United Nations Green Line, hmm. so um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Cyprus is actually still a divided country, and hmm. uh, it's it's got a huge um, border which has uh, got um, towers with machine guns and landmines, and even in the, even now when people go on holiday, it's still all the stuff still there. Oh wow! So um, the only people that are allowed into that area, into the United Nations uh, area, are, are military personnel and, and people who were escorted for, for whatever reason, so authorised wow. people. So we spent a week living in there uh, with, the, with the army unit, um, doing some, some local stories and things from the, from the, the local area that the, that the soldiers are from and sending them back to the, to the newspapers and the, and the local TV. 
about what they were what they were doing there. Mm. So that's and that's how I came to uh, know Stu initially. Mm. Um, so uh, that was and that was great fun. Um, and then uh, we knew each other from. So he was deployed to Iraq uh, two thousand and three as well, working around the the theatre, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, one of our colleagues in the navy. And then after two thousand and three, when we all uh, returned to the UK, we all got posted back to the training school almost at the same time. Right. So the so we became um, trainers. Uh, at various points I was um, doing all sorts of other training uh, to start with um, training surveillance people on using long lenses and things like that and then mm. eventually we all came together to um, to do video production uh, and train the combat camera teams so so we spent a good spent a few years together doing doing stuff there so not, not only work-wise but also uh, I became his uh, training partner on on bike rides so he he used to do a lot of uh, road cycling and so, ah, right. so, so I ended up as his training partner going out and just keeping an eye on him <laughs> <laughs> making sure he didn't get into trouble well he <laughs> did, we did say he did say um you got into um cycling um yeah and he did ask uh he did say something to me um about the helmet (laughs) (laughs) so he'll be referring to the bee the bee in the helmet the bee in the helmet yes so we're cycling um quite fast for for me because i'm not a real cyclist and i'm certainly not a any any competitor but Mm. we were probably doing about 25 you know 20 mile an hour or something so we're going along in in a back lane and suddenly all Stu could hear behind him was this screaming, and he th- he thought I'd either been hit by a car or or done something catastrophic. Actually, what it was, it was a bee that had come through my helmet with one of the um, one of the air vents that actually come oh, into the helmet and stung me on the top of the head. So, and because I was going so fast, I couldn't just stop. I had to slow down. Hmm. So. Uh, and all Stu could do was slow down and laugh and, oh, and turn around. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Typical, you know, lots of sympathy and uh, and you know, do lots of lots of laughing. And then we uh, we shook the bee out of the helmet, and uh, I had a big lump on there for a couple of days. <laughs> okay, no, he, he said you had some good fun together, and he he was on about um, the times he's been over to New Zealand as well. Mm. Saying they're yeah. both both um, <clears throat> doing the south, uh, north and south, and uh, it says you was um, so famous you had a uh, tourist take a photo of you. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been set well, off. I mean, well, he on. really has picked me up, hasn't he? So we, um, yeah, we we had a bit of fun while we were doing our tour. So we were doing some quite serious landscape photography, um, but alongside that, we we like to have a bit of fun. So um, particularly some overseas tourists, and they were looking at our camera equipment. So we, you know, we we tend to uh, move around with quite a bit of photographic equipment, some some very expensive looking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stu decided to have a bit of fun by introducing me to these tourists, and talking about a, a a very famous landscape photographer in in New Zealand, um, red red beanie photography. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, yeah, I had a couple of people started following me on Instagram actually, just just based on that tour, <laughs> and 
Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that they were just following for the photography and not for any other reason. But, um, yeah, that was quite good fun. It was, uh, so then I started doing it back to him. So everywhere we went and we used to have to, we, we were trying to outdo each other by introducing our, each other's, um, famous photographers or, you know, and, oh, do you not, do you not recognize him from the, from the TV? So, cause obviously Stu spent a lot, bit of time in the, with the BBC and, and oh, various yeah, things, things like that. So he's, uh, he's actually been on the BBC. I, I try and shy away from the, from the actual screen myself. I try and stay behind the, behind the lens. Stop by me. I, I think one of the most um, amusing things for me, so I use um, primarily Adobe Lightroom for processing uh-huh. images. And one of the most amusing things I saw that coming out were all these digital converts to black and white, but they were also adding things that we've been trying to get rid of for years. So they've been trying to get rid of grain for years. <laughs> To make yeah. things sharper, you know, we we were forever trying to get the process uh, right in the darkroom so that we actually got rid of as much grain as possible. Or when we enlarged the images, we wouldn't actually see the grain. Yeah. Now you've got you've got those packs coming out, which yeah. are add-ons, like, where they're actually adding the grain in and adding yeah. color shifts. You know, we were trying to, you know, we were forever trying to get rid of color shifts. We used to have to use um, the color film that was either daylight balanced or tungsten balanced because that's yeah. the only lights we had the tungsten at the time. The um, the color correction filters um over the lenses to to uh, now people actually do that deliberately yeah so i, th- I think that's quite amusing <clears throat> yes, art, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting because that's where i'm trying to go i've yeah. been such a such a technical photographer for such a long time mm-hmm. um even teaching the stuff that yeah. um I am I am uh, physically uh, and subconsciously trying to force myself into the into more into the artist's world. Um, mm. Got a good friend of mine who's a, um, a, an oil painting artist who used to be a, a, an air force photographer in the UK, uh, Sam Robbins, and uh, he he produces some fantastic work. And he was he found it really constraining the stuff that he used to have to do in the in the air force because it was he would have to do it this way. Yeah. You know, and so many people who are in the, the photographic world and the art world in general, they they just want to be creative and there's just there's just no room for it in the in the in the actual areas that that uh, are certainly that I've worked in, mm. um, which is why I'm trying to do more in my in my own personal uh, life using mm. COVID lockdown as well to teach myself a few Photoshop skills and, and really kind of try some different things that are out there. I think that's great. And that. I can understand that. I've said to people on the show that I started more as a technical person um, because I've spent all my life not doing anything creative. So it, it, it's not easy just to say, uh, maybe go paint that, go draw that, go take a picture of it, you know, whatever your art is, whether it's music. Um, I really have to force myself, like you're saying. Um, I think it's slowly coming there. It does, and if you if you do it constantly, like, so I'm doing uh, my daily walks down the beach, mm. um, then it becomes it becomes something of a of a normal of a almost of a habit. Yeah, um, it's something that you that you get used to doing, and you start looking looking for those things. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I think you've got to um, force yourself to be either surrounded by uh, whether it's literature or online or pictures. Um, because I think they can sort of rub off on you a little bit. 
Absolutely. And, and I always uh, encourage my uh, students in whatever, where, wherever I've had them, mm. uh, wherever, whatever kind of context I've been training them to, um, to look at that stuff online, to look at the books. You know, I, I, I actually loan my personal library act to, to various people um, because mm. I'm really keen to, to get them into different forms of photography. Um, one of my one of my favourite um, pastimes is going to secondhand bookshops and looking for photography books because mm. um, that's where you get a lot of the, the older books. But you'll find some of the you know some of the big names yeah. um, will be there. So, and I'm I'm not averse to um, taking uh, guidance or, or suggestions from from some of the, the students. You know, some of the students that I've uh, trained in over the years mm. have um, have become really successful. Um, that's good. So I'm, yeah, I'm still in touch with them, and um, yeah, I really admire what what they're doing. And uh, one of them, one of them, um, uh, a young lady who was like myself, 18 when she joined the Air Force in the New Zealand Air Force. She's now got her own um, portrait and wedding business, and she's just become a uh, New Zealand Inter- uh, Institute of Professional Photography judge at their uh, annual awards. Wow! So um, she's she's done done amazing. Amazing work. That's really so, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I noticed one thing you'd done, uh, like you're saying about your COVID, was uh, I'll point out the picture now. You called it twirling. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that image. <laughs> so that's um, the only time I'd ever seen this before was um, somebody was uh, – before pixelating faces became the normal, people would, mm-hmm. would twirl their faces so you couldn't actually um, see who they were. Mm. And that's the only only reason I'd ever seen uh, for people to use it. Mm. Um, and then somebody uh, was actually using it. And it's the, the social media thing where people um, share these images and say, look what I've uh, got. And uh, I think it was uh, one of my former Air Force colleagues uh, that I'm in touch with on Facebook, um, Heidi, she actually started doing it, and a couple of other people started doing it. Um, a couple of the purists said, "Oh, it's not photography. It's you know, it's not even art. It's just you playing around with buttons." But actually, you're creating something. Yeah. And all the feedback that I've had on the on the ones I've done, you know, I've got a a, a fr- good friend here who's uh, who's an abstract artist, and she absolutely loved it. She yeah. thought it was absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, and when you compare the um, the original to the to what you actually produce. You, your brain can't actually comprehend that the two images would actually be related. No, of course you can't. Yeah, um, but it's yeah, it's absolutely great. I I'm, I really really enjoyed that. So I actually I've still got it on one of my shortcuts on Photoshop. Uh, I don't do it too often because I think if you overdo it, it becomes one of those things that um, can just become ho hum. But yeah. uh, you know, with the with the right image and and using it occasionally, um, I've even had people talk about wanting to print it and put it in a frame. So mm. that's, um, that's, that's always a good sign. That's always my, uh, my kind of uh, rule of thumb. You know, if people are wanting to uh, print it or, or do whatever with it, then, uh, then, you know, I've obviously done something that people like. Mm. It was nice to see. And like you say, I think it's important that you use time like this uh, in a good way. And it's like, wow. Now, yeah, you know, that takes some serious passion and skill. Oh, it does. It does because you you can only produce one of those at a time. They're usually a one-off, and mm. if you don't get it right, it's you know in whatever either the exposure or the processing or you know 
it's mm. yeah you have to be really patient with, mm. with that stuff but it, but it, again it's you know it's it's good to to go through that process and rather than take a thousand images on a on a digital camera and then try and produce one that's that you like yeah it's, it's that the whole the whole process of actually looking at and in in investigating and um looking at what you're actually looking at and taking time to to understand what you're looking at before you press that shutter release yeah definitely um it's something me and you were saying earlier about mm. um people to say that word pre-visualization i don't know if i have that um i think most of the time for me it's when i'm there um i would say it's more like working the scene yeah than, than anything um because you've yeah. sort of got an idea, um, but until you're there and change your angle or focal length, whatever you've got to work with. Mm. Um, but then again, you know, having the same focal length forces you to um, go to certain places. Uh, I mean, everything's so different, isn't it? It is. It is. And um, that's why I think that's why Stu and I get on really well, is that we're quite different in the way we approach um, scenes. So I think we're through the formal part now, Gareth. Sure. Um, and I'd like to take you through to my random questions. Oh, these are the ones I've, <laughs> I've been dreading, these. <laughs> <laughs> I know most people do. Um, mm -hmm. I think especially um, servicemen and service leaders. Yes, yeah. Engineers are uh, exactly the same because they're very methodical thinkers. Yeah. So... Don't worry. You take oh, it's good, good fun, though. Yeah, it's good fun, though. I'm, I'm, I've got quite a zany sense of humour, so I'm looking forward to these. Oh, right. Okay, then. Right. So, um, you find out that I am God, after all, and I've been living amongst you all the time, and life was a test. What would you ask me? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, probably come to my um, training background and ask me if I'd passed or failed. Oh, right. Okay. Ask, ask yeah, me, yeah. Ask, yeah. Have I passed the test? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, I think some people would probably just say, Marmite, why? Yeah, right. <laughs> Something stupid like that. Yeah, well, down here, uh, we have two. We have Marmite and Vegemite. And that's a huge, that's a huge debate over it the, is. over the water cooler or in the, in the, uh, over a beer. Yeah. Um, personally, I don't like either of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I absolutely detest them. So yeah, I, I mean, no, none of that for me, but yeah, I just want to know if I passed. <laughs> no, I like that. No, that's simple. Um, to commemorate something in your life, what flavor of ice cream would you invent as a reminder. Oh. Malt now whiskey. Whiskey. <laughs> Malt whiskey. Okay. Mm. So is that so, from uh, so I uh, when I lived in Scotland, mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely I absolutely detested it when um, when I when I first went there in any form. Um, I was educated. <laughs> for want of a better word, by the by, my um, Scottish colleagues, mm. and um, 
and now I've got a, a taste for it, but only for the expensive stuff, not for oh, the blended no. stuff. Which is why, I, yeah, which is why I say the, the single malts. Um, um, and I I got to a point where I'd even took my um, new newly uh, wedded wife uh, to a distillery on our on our honeymoon in Scotland. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and she could she couldn't drive, so we had to walk because I didn't I didn't want to go to a distillery and not drink. Oh so my god. To, <laughs> so we had to walk so yeah malt, malt whiskey would definitely be uh, me, me. yeah like that. oh, that's cool um, you have to spend 24 hours in a padded room which one of these would drive you mad someone eating crisps right in front of your ears for hours or a decent sized spider because you know at some point you'll have to sleep yeah probably the crisps actually yeah so the um yeah the uh, um, a, lot, a lot of the forces go through various training for um things around uh interrogation okay and noise is a big part of it you know even though we don't tend to use what we think is our sensor mm. sensory uh quite quite too much but yeah noise would probably be the the thing yeah. uh, it causes it's you know i i still wake up at the at the slightest thing uh you know i'm still quite uh alert to various noises spiders uh, i've slept with them in the past um, yeah. Incl- yeah including camel spiders in the desert and uh, and things in the in the jungle so they they tend to leave you alone if you leave them alone thought you might say that no, no <laughs> <laughs> okay so a new strain of covid has come to light and gives everyone mohican hairstyles <laughs> what do you do embrace it hide or wait for a cure oh that'd be awesome so i've always wanted a mohican so i was never into punk but i'm into um heavy metal music uh, okay yeah and some of the some of the kind of uh, alternative bands have mohicans hmm. um as you can see, but my listeners can't, I am uh, follically challenged. <laughs> so uh, I've got more hair on my chin than I have on my head. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> um, in the past, when I've allowed my hair to grow, um, I, a couple of times I've actually been to uh, gigs where I've actually shaved it uh, as a Mohican. Uh, it, you, you can only just see it. So right. literally yeah, just a strike. Um, and that's kind of the rebel in me that, uh, you know, being in the in the military and then in, in various kind of organisations where you're not allowed to look like that. Yeah. Um, it's just, a, yeah, just for a weekend. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes wigs as well. So I would absolutely embrace it. I would absolutely love. <laughs> in fact, I'll make it compulsory at my, in my office. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd be a nice part of COVID, there you go. Absolutely would, yeah. Yeah. Apart from headphones, of course, you get that kind of bit in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah, you'd have to yeah, we'd have to invent <laughs> something all the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your next one. Um there are many famous detective agencies. What would yours be called and who would be your partner? Oh what would it be called? Because you're my sort of age, so I know yeah, yeah. you've watched a lot of these when you were younger. I have, yeah. 
I'd probably probably Davis and McKenzie, and um, so I'd mm. probably have to have Stu um, yeah. because he's he's got the investigative background. So he was military police ah, before course. before he was a photographer. Mm. Um, although I understand he wasn't a very good one, which is why he changed. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got so to drop that. Yeah, well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So yeah, Davis and McKenzie investigators. Awesome. Probably driving around in a in a red Camaro or something, you know, to, <laughs> or looking a bit like yeah, yeah, looking like Don Johnson with a with a white, you know, and a, with a big boat and a, and a white suit. Proper eighties car. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's nice. Oh, well, fun. thank you so much for going through those, Gareth. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> good fun. That was good. Um, as you know, uh, the final bit um, is uh, I do that pay forward scheme. Um, mm. And I know you are always prepared. You're a military man. <laughs> um, who you got in mind then? What are you thinking? So um, I was thinking about this. I've got a, a, quite a few people that uh, I can, and I can, I'll send you a list of sure. um, people that, that might be really uh, interesting people to talk to. Um, so a good friend of mine is uh, Jane Dunn. She's a um, forensic photographer by day. Cool. She um, also has um, uh, a sideline. She absolutely adores police dogs and puppies, and uh, she's been integral in, in um, producing a calendar to raise funds uh, over the of uh, a dog calendar. So um, yes, yeah, so I'll I'll send you Jane's details. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know yet. I'll double check that she's okay mm. with it. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but she's but she's an absolute passionate photographer, uh, and uh, she does weddings and portraits as as well as uh, aside. But mm. her uh, her first love is her dogs. So mm. uh, I'll uh, I'll send you an Instagram uh, mm. feed, and you can uh, you can have a look at that and see and see how how much she's you know she's just got them all over her. She's just lying on the floor with dogs all over her with a, a wide angle lens looking up at them. She's yeah, yeah she's she loves them. Mm. No, that's cool. Uh, no, that's very, very cool. Um, uh, and the last thing is probably just to tell everybody where the best place to check you out is. So um, I haven't actually got a website. It's something uh, that I've, uh, bec because of the work I've done over the years, I haven't tended to um, share mm -hmm. the share the stuff until the last few years. And uh, a good friend of mine, uh, the guy I was telling you about, Sam, he, uh, he pushed me to get an Instagram account. Uh -huh. uh, the Facebook account uh, as well, which has been going primarily just to keep in contact with everybody. So uh, Red Beanie Photography is the uh, is where you can find me, um, which is quite different from from some people. A lot of people use their own name to yeah. uh, to for the for the for the you know whatever they're doing. Um, my the Red Beanie actually comes from a guy who was one of my childhood heroes, a guy called Jacques Cousteau. Um, because oh, I was yeah, always into scuba diving and uh, and getting in with sharks, which is what I managed to do over the years. And uh, yeah, he always used to wear a red uh, woolly hat uh, or beanie, as we call them in New Zealand. So uh, I always I started wearing one from a long time ago. Whenever I used to go out, um, it used to be the the standout person on the touchline in the in the uh, rugby games. Where everybody could actually see see where I was, including the family. So uh, yes, yeah, so if you ever see any pictures of me uh, out and about with a camera, I've usually got a red beanie on. <laughs> That's nice, though. Yeah, so yeah, I just I wanted like to do that. something something slightly different and something slightly quirky or odd, as some people call it. Well, we've got to be odd, haven't we? Yeah. 
<laughs> we're all yeah we are all in our different ways aren't we no, no, no. so yeah red, red beanie photography is, is me well thank you for spending your early morning with me um, <laughs> no problem about... i had to get up to feed the rabbit so um yeah it's my usual sunday morning all oh, right okay so it's, it's, yeah it's very nice to uh, talk about photography uh, as you can probably tell my uh, it's it's been my passion and my my mm. hobby and almost it's part of my life really since uh, since I left home. So thank you very much. It's, uh, it's always fun talking about photography. Mm, same here. So <laughs> I can't mm. imagine being that experienced uh, like yourself. <laughs> I'll be very, very old before I catch you up. <laughs> oh. oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, talk quite diplomatic, that is. Yeah, because I'm starting <laughs> to feel really old now. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you've got many more years on me uh, in terms of photography, haven't you? It's, it's amazing. Um, and, and the great thing I like doing is passing on that experience and passing on those tips. You know, that's that's. Mm. I, ne I never, I never thought I would. I thought, you know, I always thought I'd be a, just a, a do hands-on doing it because that's what I really like doing. But you know, mm. the the, um, the passion for actually passing that information on is uh, is great, and it's great to see when people pick it up and, and try different things. Yeah, well, I mm. think that's where you're going to be remembered as well, isn't it? Yep, definitely. Yeah, that's... there'll probably be a few other things as well, but we're not allowed to talk about those. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's the only uh, that's the only downside. Interviewed someone for the military background. Yeah, I'll tell you about this amazing thing that happened, but I wasn't there. By the way, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's that's part of it, isn't it? So yeah, it is. Right. Well, I'm going to disappear. It's uh, 11 p.m. now over here, so. Yeah, thank you very much indeed, Andy. Thanks for your opportunity to um, to chat. Hope it uh, hope it all goes well, and uh, take care in the uh, in this new normal COVID world, whatever whatever it looks like into the future for you and your family. Yeah, no, appreciate that, mate. Um, mm. Yeah, you take care and have a lovely day. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot, Gareth. Cheers. You're welcome. Bye.